Well, good morning and welcome to Bible Center Church. My name is Paula Tony, and I'm the hospitality director. I want to welcome you here this morning. Actually, no, my name is not Paula Tony. I'm not that nice. Let me try this again. Good morning. Welcome to Bible Center. Uh, my name is Pastor Lee Walker. It's so great to have you. No, I'm not uh, Pastor Lee Walker either. I'm not that organized. Um, good morning. My name is uh, Chad Cowan. I'm the pastor of Care Ministries here at Bible Center. It's great having you. No, I, I'm, I'm not that smart. I can't be uh, Chad Cowan. Let me try. Good morning. My name is Jane Jackson. Nope, not that diligent. Uh, good morning. My name is Pastor John King. No, I'm not that cool. I can't be Pastor John King. Actually, if you're new here and you're wondering what in the world's going on, for real, my name is Matt Friend, and I'm the senior pastor of Bible Center Church, and it's a joy uh, to have you with us. But I was thinking this week how often we feel pressured to be like somebody else. Do you ever feel that pressure to be like somebody else in your family? Maybe somebody else at your job, or somebody else in this church, or like some other mom, or like some other dad, or somebody else in the community. You, you think to yourself, if only I was like so-and-so, then life would be so much better. Let me confess to you that pastors aren't exempt from that either. Uh, we feel that pressure no matter what seat on the bus uh, we find ourselves. There are times when I listen to Bob Spradling teach and preach, the pastor who is here for almost 30 years, 26, 27 years, and listen to his eloquence. I think, man, if only I had the eloquence of Pastor Bob Spradling. And then, of course, a couple times a year, the deal is Pastor Sean has to come back a couple times a year or else he has to personally pay off our debt. And so uh, he chooses to come here and preach instead of do the latter. And every time I hear Sean preach, I think, man, if only I could be like Pastor Sean. You see, he's kind of like three people in one. And if you have no idea who I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But he's kind of like three people in one. He's kind of like John Maxwell with his leadership acumen. He's like Zach off Saved by the Bell. And throw in a little Matthew McConaughey, and that's Sean Thornton. And I think if only I could be him. And then the more I get to know Pastor Eric, I think if only I could have his depth. If only I could visit as much as Eric visited. And the elders remind me that I've got small kids and young kids at home, and, and that day is coming. But I, it's easy for us to wish we were somebody else. But I want to encourage your heart today that God made you just the way he wanted you to be. If there's no you, if you're not you, then, then nobody else will be. You won't touch the lives that God wants you to touch. You won't use your spiritual gifts that God has given you. I heard this phrase this week and wanted to pass it along. I'm not sure who the author is. If I'm not me, no one else will be. If I'm not me, no one else will be. Here's what we're going to do this morning. In a moment, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 4. And I'm going to go through quickly descriptions of 10 people, 10 men and women, 10 short stories. And we're going to look at the contributions they made to the early church. And then I'm going to challenge you to be the person God has gifted and called you to be. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. You can open your Bible or your Bible app. Let me invite you to please stand as I read Colossians chapter 4, 
starting in verse 7. Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and how he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This early church in Colossae, made up of young believers, new believers, were being tempted by false teachers. The false teachers were tempting them to believe that uh, the greatest aspect of the Christian life was the invisible, was the imaginary, or at least the things that you couldn't touch. They talked a lot about spirits that may or may not exist, about angels that may or may not give you power. And the key to the false teachers was this behind-the-scenes spiritual realm, almost like dark magic. And so the Apostle Paul writes to this church, and throughout the book he has reminded them that the spiritual isn't necessarily good, and the physical isn't necessarily bad. But God created both worlds, and He is king over both worlds. But throughout the book, he reminds them that the physical is important to God. Jesus Christ came in a physical body. He was 100% God, but 100% human being. And here at the end of the book, he gives us 10 names to remind the Colossian church that the leaders weren't these mysterious beings, but they were men and women sitting in the seats beside them. It's very physical, it's very raw, he uses their names, and he calls them by name. Now, I wish that many of the names in the Bible were easier to pronounce. Now, I did the best I could, I'm just saying, did the best I could, but it would have been a whole lot better if their names were like Bob and Susie, but you've got like Tychicus and Onesimus, but even though their names may seem strange to us, they were very important to God. Let's look at the 10 people upon whom this church was built. First of all, it was built on committed people. He mentions Tychicus in verses 7 and 8. Committed people. 
He was the mailman who delivered this letter to the church from Paul. He delivered several letters from the Apostle Paul. He was Paul's agent. He was the guy who would go before Paul and set up his meetings with churches and church leaders. In verse 7, he's described as a faithful brother, faithful minister, and faithful servant. When Paul had gathered up hordes of money as an offering to the poor, struggling Jerusalem church, he chose no one else but Tychicus to deliver the sum of money because he could trust him. He was committed. He was faithful. His greatest ability was dependability. The second person he mentions in verse 9 is Onesimus. And we see that the church is built on vulnerable people. The church is built on vulnerable people. Onesimus was a runaway slave. We find out in the book of Philemon that he had stolen something from his master, had run away to Rome, and somehow through the providence of God, he meets the apostle Paul. Now, nowhere in the New Testament does God condone slavery. We talked about that several months ago. But Paul saw a unique opportunity as Onesimus somehow meets Paul, maybe as a servant in the prison, comes to faith in Jesus, and Paul finds out who his master was. And he says, I led your master to Jesus back in Ephesus years ago. I know your master, Philemon. And so he sends Onesimus back to Colossae, where the rich businessman Philemon lived. And just imagine as Tychicus delivers the letter to the Colossian church, Philemon is sitting in the third row back. And he tells Onesimus the slave, you just wait outside and I'll tell you the look on your master's face. He had to be vulnerable to do this. According to Roman law, he could have been executed or at least beaten for having run away and stolen something from his master. And picture the scene as Tychicus stands up in front of the church, reads the letter from the Apostle Paul that we now have in our New Testament. And then he has a private letter that is soon to become public just for Philemon. And he says, Philemon, Onesimus is waiting outside. He has found Jesus too. And Paul asks you not to receive him back as a slave, but to receive him back as a brother. And think about how nervous he had to be. He was vulnerable. He put himself out there because he so trusted Paul and he so trusted Paul's gospel. Church history tells us that Onesimus, 50 years later, as a man in his 70s, became the pastor, the bishop of Ephesus, became the pastor of the church in the same area where his master trusted Jesus. The church is built on vulnerable people. The church is also built on suffering people. We see that in Aristarchus in verse 10. Aristarchus met Paul in Greece, the town of Thessalonica. That's still the modern-day town of Thessaloniki. Everywhere Paul went and suffered, Aristarchus was with him. His name is used three times in the book of Acts, and we see that he was beaten with Paul. He was falsely accused with Paul, and he was shipwrecked with Paul. I didn't know this until this week, but Aristarchus was also arrested and imprisoned in Rome the same time the Apostle Paul was. Some believe he may have been his bodyguard. So when you're the bodyguard of public enemy number one, when public enemy number one gets arrested, you get arrested. 
And they were taken to Rome together. And Paul writes, and somehow this church knew Aristarchus. And he said, he is suffering with me for the good of the gospel. The church isn't built on people that are paved with gold. The church is built on people who know how to suffer. The church is also built on forgiven people. We see it in verse 10 with Mark. His full name is John Mark. If you're taking notes, John was his Jewish name. Mark was his Roman name. So sometimes in scriptures, you'll see him called as John Mark or here in just Mark. Mark was the kid who grew up in church. If anybody had the religious platter spread before them, Mark had that. His mom owned the house where the early church in Jerusalem met. You see, when the church was started, they didn't have buildings as beautiful as this or cathedrals, but the church met in people's homes, and evidently his mom had a large enough home for the church to meet. Tradition says, we can't be sure, that she owned the building or the house where the upper room Last Supper took place. And interestingly, because in the book of Acts, that's where Peter ran to when he was released from prison. It was like ground zero for Christianity. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, which was Paul's assistant. Now, I'm mentioning a lot of names. If you're new to church, don't worry about it. We'll explain these over and over again. But he's assistant with the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey, and he became a deserter. He he left. He quit in the mission. The scriptures never tell us why he quit in the mission, but you you get a pretty good idea when you read the book of Acts. He's traveling with Paul and Barnabas. On their first stop, they meet a witch doctor, a sorcerer, not the funny, cute kind in Harry Potter, but somebody who is evil, creating all kinds of uh, problems. Right after they confront a witch doctor, the apostle Paul contracts malaria, So he's watching this as a young man and thinking, yes, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. I want to go into the ministry so I can do great things. And he's seeing like people die and people get malaria. Maybe that was the reason he quit. We don't know. But he goes back home to mommy of all people. And Paul says he's a quitter. So when the second missionary journey was ready to to take place and Barnabas is gathering up John Mark and said, hey, Paul, I think John Mark is ready to go with us. Paul says, not on my trip, not on my watch. He's a quitter. He's a mama's boy. He's not coming with me. And Barnabas and Paul begin to argue back and forth. And the dissension was so great between them that Acts says that Barnabas and Paul split ways. Barnabas took John Mark and, and Paul took Silas. But 10 years later, they reconciled. Again, we don't know if if it was just John Mark. Maybe Paul was being a jerk. You see that a couple times in the scriptures. You don't know. But these two brothers reconciled and they forgave each other. And at the end of Paul's life, he writes and asks that John Mark be brought to the prison cell because he says, he's profitable for me. I want to talk to him one more time before I die. I love the gospel of Mark. I love Mark because throughout the book, it's a very short book, but over and over again, Mark, if you read it closely, he highlights other quitters. He highlights other losers. He shows all the failures of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, but then he shows how Jesus used them anyway. That's no accident. 
Tradition tells us that Mark later worked with Peter in Rome, gathering up the archives of all the stories of Jesus, which is why today we have the Gospel of Mark. He was a historian. His bones are still beneath the church of St. Mark in Venice, Italy. The church is built not on perfect people, not on people that have always done everything right or made every perfect decision, but it's built on forgiven people. The church is also built, we see in verse 11, on encouraging people. He uses a, a word here. He says, this guy's name was Jesus, but he doesn't want us to think of him as our Jesus. So he says, Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus was a very common name at this time. It's the, the Greek version of the word Joshua. And so he says, hey, it's not the Savior Jesus, but it's that guy, Yeshua, Joshua, that we now call Justice, because we don't want to get him confused with our Jesus. He was a converted Jew, and evidently he greatly comforted and encouraged Paul in Rome. He was just an encourager. The church is built on encouragers. The church is built on praying people, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras was the founder of the church at Colossae. He had heard Paul preach the gospel in Ephesus, came back to his town about 100 miles away, preaching, but it also says he was praying. Verses 12 and 13 says he struggled in prayer for his church. And God answered his prayers and built a church in his hometown. The church is built on praying people. The church is built on professional people. Verse 14, we see Luke, Dr. Luke, the physician. Medical schools today still celebrate St. Luke's Day, which actually happened to be last week. Luke was a physician who traveled with the Apostle Paul using his gifts, maybe not so much different as the medical clinic that's going on now down at the school. Steve told me yesterday we were able to, to serve 400 people with all their families. There was over 1,000 people that came through the building at Bible Center School yesterday. And they expect as much or more today. Dr. Luke was doing that sort of thing with the Apostle Paul, but he was also a historian like Mark. Luke, more than just as a hobby, would, would watch and write down the archives and the annals of Paul. And he was used to write over 25% of the New Testament. The book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that's this Luke. And then you've got the book of Acts. You put those two together, that's over a fourth of our New Testament. He was a professional man that sure he used his gifts and his profession to fund the ministry. But it was so much more than funding the ministry. He was in the ministry. And he was doing the work that God had called him to do. The church is built on professional people. The church is also built on generous people. I think the outline on your app says hospi hospitable people. Same thing. Nympha. The only woman listed here. Verses 15 and 16. Nympha was a wealthy woman who lived in Laodicea, and evidently she had a large enough house. Laodicea was only about eight or nine miles from Colossae, and they were like sister churches. And so Nympha was the hospitable woman who would roll out the red carpet and let the people use her house as a meeting place. Nympha was like to Laodicea like Philemon was to Colossae. They shared houses. They shared copies of the scriptures. 
She was a generous woman. The church is built on gifted people. In verse 17, we see Archippus. It says, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. It's possible that he was the son of Philemon. History tells us that he was probably the pastor of the church in Laodicea, where Nympha opened up her home. And he had spiritual gifts that God encouraged him to use. Number 10 is the most important person on our list, which you can probably tell in your outline. The church is built on these people, sure. But these people are like the, the, the top of the house and the decorations of the house. But the foundation of the house is this 10th person, and that's Jesus Christ. The church predominantly is built on Jesus. Three times in this passage, it points back to Jesus Christ, the Lord. And, and as you read Colossians from beginning to end, Paul makes no mistake. The church wasn't built on the foundation of Paul or of John Mark or of Nympha. The church was built on Jesus Christ, which is why Jesus says, in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I will what? Build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, through the book of Colossians, reminds them that at, cre at creation, God made us. He made all things. I, we can't wrap our minds around how all that happened and, and the beauty of that, but God made all things. God made us, sin broke us. We are all equally sinners before God. We can never do enough good works to earn our way to heaven. But thankfully, Jesus came along to save us. And the message of the Bible is the message of hope and forgiveness and peace. He can take your shame. He can take your guilt. He can take your sin and wash it away once and for all. Colossians 1 says he has made peace through the blood of his cross. Even as Jesus died on the cross, you can imagine as he's got God the Father here and he's got us as sinful, broken people here and he became the bridge by which we could come to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And one day he will make all things new. Sin broke us. Jesus saves us, but one day Jesus will heal us. This morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's our invitation to you to become Christian. I hope you won't try to clean up your life yet, because I've been a Christian for over 20 years. Well, I guess maybe over 30 years, and I'm still, God is still cleaning up my life. You don't clean up your life and come to Jesus you come to Jesus by faith, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, he rose again, and he cleans up your life one day at a time. So what's the encouragement? What's the challenge from Colossians chapter 4 to us 2,000 years later? It's simply this. Be the person God made you to be so we can be the church God wants us to be. 
Be the person God made you to be so we can be the church God wants us to be. In the Roman world, it was common for them to write biographies. They, they loved biographies. And they would write long biographies about their heroes. And the purpose was that in so reading these Greco-Roman stories that you would say, I want to be like that hero. And they would inspire through names of their heroes. And what we've just read in Colossians chapter 4 is intended to inspire you. And I'm going to invite you in the last few minutes of this message to find one of these heroes and latch on to them and say, God, help their virtue to become my virtue. Make me like this man or make me like this woman or some other Bible character that he brings to your mind. This morning, I want to challenge you to commit like Tychicus. To commit. It said he was a faithful brother. Let me encourage you to be a faithful brother and sister. I don't mean faithful like in 2017. You know, like I read my Bible once a week and come to church once a month. That's not what I mean. But what would it look like for you to be a faithful brother and sister, to be on board with our mission? You say, I'm all in, Pastor Man. I want to produce more maturing followers of Jesus. I'm all in with Bible Center. I want to be a church Charleston can't live without. Come on in. Let's commit together and show the next generation what it looks like to be committed. This generation that's coming after us, you know what commitment looks like? To them more and more. It looks like I might check in to a video service on an app or a website occasionally. That's my commitment. I might listen to a podcast a couple times a month. That's my commitment. But this is when we can be counter-cultural. We can go against the culture and say, yes, thank the Lord that these things are out there for people throughout the week or people who are unable to make it to the church gathering, but I want to be committed. If that's you, let me invite you into two things, very practical steps. We have an email. I send it out every Friday. It's my all-in email. There's now about 900 adults registered for the email. You can register for that on the app or on the website and every Friday, I try to give inside information. And there's not a lot of secret stuff going on, but I try to give you inside information about what our pastors are doing, what our staff is doing, uh, what we're praying about, what our hopes are. Usually a personal word from me. But you can also see Bible Center in 10 every Sunday after the service. Right down here in this section, one of our staff leads a Bible Center in 10. Bible Center in 5, actually, so it's not 10 minutes, it's 5 minutes. And one of our staff will just answer your questions. Say, hey, here's some material. Here's some answers to your questions. You can stay longer than five minutes if you want. Let's be committed. Let's be vulnerable like Onesimus. Being vulnerable is part of what it means to be Christian. I understand that going to one of our, our classes or joining one of our groups can be somewhat vulnerable. Jumping into service. Man, I'm going to serve in the, the nursery for the first time today. Oh, I'm so nervous. I get it. This past week, I went to a, a new restaurant. That's really all pastors do is we preach one day a week and we eat seven days a week. That's all we do. Went to a new I won't say where it was. It was good. It was really good food. But I kind of felt like some of you feel this morning if you're new here. I hadn't felt that way in a while because I grew up here. 
But I went to a restaurant I'd never been to in Charleston, and I didn't know where it was because they didn't have a sign out by the road. You know, that's like a novel idea. Put a sign out by the road. And so GPS didn't get me right to it, so I had to ask and eventually got there. So I walk in, and I I walk in. It was like those old saloon movies where everybody's sitting around, and they just turn and they look at you. I was like, this is really weird. So I walk up. I'd already checked out the menu online. I walk up to the counter and I told them what I want, but the name of the thing I chose was different. They had like a a colloquial name for it. I just wanted a grilled chicken salad. Like, I don't know how to mess that up. But they had like their own name. Like, oh, you want the such and such. Yeah, yeah, I want that, man. Just grow me some grilled chicken. And I pulled my wallet out to pay. And the guy said, oh, you, you don't pay here. You pay after you're done. I said, well, where do you pay when I'm done? He said, you pay here. <laughs> so I go and sit down, and I'm not wearing like the cheesy, you know, like, like shirt that shows where I work. I'm just wearing like a normal shirt. I'm a normal guy, and people are looking. And I thought, is this what it's like to visit Bible Center if you're not from here? Boy, I hope not. But if it is, we're working to change that. But being a Christian is being vulnerable, and that's okay. We want this to be a church where it's okay not to be okay. We don't want to be the church where perfect people attend on top of the hill and they live happy little lives and plastic little faces. We want this to be the church where you bring your junk and you bring your junk, and we come together just broken people who love Jesus. This church will be built on people who suffer and people who suffer well, like Aristarchus. If you're suffering, don't, don't, don't fade out. Press in. If, you, if you're going through a hard time, Satan will tell you that nobody loves you, nobody cares. Let us know that's your temptation. We, we want to care for you, but we don't always do the best job. Let us know. Suffer well. Let's be a church filled with people like John Mark, People who have past failures in their life, but they come anyway. We don't want this to be a place where people who made the cut and have never made a poor choice, or else none of us could come. But let's be a place of forgiveness, a place of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances. Let's be a place where we pray for others like Epaphras, and we encourage one another. We're not cynical we're not hateful. We're not constantly gabbing and by, but we're, we encourage like justice. Let's be a people who uses our professions like Dr. Luke used his profession. We don't just see spirituality as Sunday morning, but it's spiritual for us to get up and go to work on Monday morning. And we see ourselves as missionaries in the city. Let's be people who use our resources, our money, our houses, our dinner tables our candy at Trunk or Treat, like Nympha, and we're just generous. I hope you'll join us next Sunday night for Trunk or Treat. I don't like decorating cars. All right, just between me, don't tell anybody. I think decorating cars, for me, is just cheesy, right? I'm not going to decorate a car, but I'm going to come. I'm going to show up. I told my wife, she's doing one for the girls that she leads in her youth group, and I'm going to pull a car up. I'm going to be Jake from State Farm. Because all i got to wear is a khakis and a red shirt, and I can be Jake from State Farm. Go to Sam's and get a big old bag of candy. May God help us just to be, just to be generous. I have no idea what they had to do with the sermon. Find, <laughs> find ways to use your gifts like Aristarchus. But above all things, let's remember this church is built on Jesus.
Be the person God made you to be so we can be the church God wants us to be. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at Bible Center. I pray that you would help us to latch on to one of these characters, namely Jesus. But you set these men and women up in Scripture as examples. If not one of these ten, help us to, to try to strive by your grace to mimic the grace that's in someone else's life. Make us a church that's committed, faithful, repentant, humble, broken, encouraging. I pray this would be a city set on a hill, literally on a hill, but spiritually as we go out into our neighborhoods and live our lives. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, let me invite you to reach out to one of us this week. You can let me know out in the gathering space or send me a note through Facebook or on our website this week. Pastor Matt, I want to know what it's like. I want, to, I want to take that step and become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ in the past, but you say, you know, I, I just want to, I want to recommit my life to Christ. Hey, let me know that. Let me know how I can pray for you. I want to celebrate that. And may God help us to trust in Him.